Welcome to our podcast. My name is Keely Severson, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Eric Johnson and Alicia Swamy, and we are Exposing Mold. Today, we are here with Corey Deacon, owner of Nirvana Health. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Home Cleanse, formerly known as All American Restoration, is a company that specializes in improving indoor air quality through proper mold remediation, offering services nationwide. You can visit them at homecleanse.com to learn more. The Mold Guy performs mold sampling and testing for homeowners, renters, and businesses. Please visit themoldguyinc.com to learn more. Black Diamond Services provides solutions to the unforeseen challenges that can affect homes and families with no out-of-pocket costs. Services include temporary housing relocation and mold test referrals for homeowners. Visit blackdiamondservices.com to learn more. Great Plains Laboratory provides toxic exposure testing to those living in compromised environments. Tests include the Mycotox panel that tests for mycotoxins in urine samples and the Envirotox panels tests for environmental chemicals in the urine and provides an overall metabolic snapshot of a patient's health. Visit gp-labs.com to learn more. Thank you again for your sponsorships. It is integral to our ability to serve our community and to improve the quality of life for all. Welcome, Corey. Hi, thanks for having me. So Corey, thank you so much for joining us. I understand that you are a provider of functional medicine in the Canada in Canada mm-hmm. and you treat mold illness. Can you share with us how you came to specialize in mold illness in your clinic? Yeah, so I have a little bit of a most of it as a personal story. Um, when I was in university, I started developing uh, a lot of a lot of brain related problems. So brain fog, uh, concentration problems, uh, forgetfulness, uh, word retrieval issues. Uh, started developing anxiety, depression, and uh, significant amounts of fatigue. And I had in the years prior had had a lot of subconcussive injuries, and you know, kind of chalked that up to like maybe maybe some concussions that were catching up to me. Um, I was always blown away by conventional medicine, um, you know, not even looking at what was going on. Um, it was just like, oh, it's university, you know, you just, here's, here's a medication. And um, I, I remember, remember thinking like, this is kind of a little bit crazy. Like I've never had anxiety. I don't have problems with school. I'm a great learner. Um, that, that's not stressing me out. It's just, there's something else going on. Right. So um, yeah, I ended up slowly over time kind of unraveling it's kind of multi layers of, of problems and it actually uh turned out that i had i'd had a tick bite in nicaragua a couple of years before this all started happening and i got really ill about four or five days after they they thought it was dengue fever um sickest i've ever been it was it's crazy i was hallucinating but my fever was so high and um you know, got through that, didn't really think anything of it. And yeah, over time, this is kind of like these chronic symptoms just kept getting worse. And um, I, you know, eventually learned that, you know, infections can cause chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So I went through treatment approaches to kind of get that that better. And um, then it kind of became something that I, you know, eventually got my doctorate, got trained in and started learning that, oh, mold can also do this as well. And um, I moved to Calgary shortly after I had, uh, well, actually, while I was finishing my doctorate. And uh, there was a, a lot of floods actually in Calgary in 2013, 2014, like massive amount of the city flooded because of the, uh, 
the river all the floodplain um flooded out which happens every 100 100 years or so um it was it was really quite terrible um and all all these people that you're seeing like in the calgary area had 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 some exposure to mold and uh yeah so i you know i just i just dug deeper you know i did some training through dr shoemaker and dr Heyman and just uh you know continue to learn more and more each day about it and you know now we've gotten to the point where we know water damaged buildings are uh are not just mold either right? there's bacterial problems there's uh, actinomyces problems there's uh, endotoxin problems that can happen in this water damaged building so uh we we see all flavors of that and because of our, of our specialty clinic um we usually don't see people until they've seen an average of eight to twelve doctors so I would say probably about 50 to 80% of my patient population is chronic inflammatory response syndrome um, and specifically related to mold or water damage building illness. So uh, yeah, it's, it's just been interesting to see absolutely like how pervasive it is and, and how, how common it is to see. When you were in university, do you think that you were in a bad building or a bad dorm? Oh, there's... De- definitely. And, and when I, and when I moved to Calgary as well, I was in a basement suite that was like a raised legal basement suite w- without a doubt. I'd, I'd had mold exposure. I'd had it also, um, earlier in, um, in my childhood as well. My pa- uh, parents' basement flooded probably seven or eight times, uh, lived down there. And, you know, so, so tragic because a, a lot of like insurance companies, their, their goal is to do as little, remediation as possible right so i remember multiple times where it wasn't even recommended that we remove the carpet right and it, it was so absolutely i had and that and that was all of the compounding all the things that compounded right and and that's the important thing to know with things like mold and water damage building exposure is that makes you uh more susceptible to like post-concussion syndrome and i've, I've seen so many, much of that too where people actually come in after concussion they're not getting better and you dig deeper and you, you see like, you know, quantitative RNA sequencing, you're seeing, oh, you've had a past exposure to mold or you're having a current exposure. So your innate immune system can't recalibrate for your brain to actually repair. Um, so, yeah, I really think that that with the concussions, with the um, infection I got, the Babesia infection I got in Nicaragua, I think that all of those, the, the mold exposure was what made me susceptible to all of that. Right. I think had that not been the case, I probably wouldn't have had any problems on uh, with any of those other issues. So what's really interesting in your bio is that um, you're using quantitative EEG. And Eric has a little story for you about this method, because it's actually um, an old school method that was used Mm -hmm. in the 80s. And so I'd love to hear Eric's story and then maybe we can transition over to how you've started adapting to that and using that in your own practice to help people. Yeah, that was actually a technique used by Dr. J. Goldstein Mm -hmm. in uh, San Francisco, who uh, was testing Dr. Paul Cheney's chronic fatigue syndrome patients and said their brain electrical activity mapping was literally off the charts, like somebody hit him in the head with a sledgehammer. And this was part of the evidence that that helped to establish the credibility of Dr. Cheney's chronic fatigue syndrome as a discrete entity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, uh, uh, Dr. Cheney, after seeing the results of these Quig scans, said that um, the real answer to chronic fatigue syndrome, it's all in the head. It's, it's in the brain. It's right there. It's in, it's in the brain. It's in the mitochondria. It's, uh, it's in the electrical chemical function of the brain. Absolutely. So it's interesting to hear that this um, old reliable technology is still being applied. And becoming more and more and more reliable. 
Um, it's, it's actually really, really cool. Um, about three and a half years ago, uh, mainly due to the, the human connectome project, um, that's, that's currently underway and, and being very well funded by the NIH is, um, we adapted a method that was called Loretta, which actually allows us to isolate activity from deeper cortical layers. Um, so you can see, you know, down into areas of the cingulate, you can see into limbic regions like the amygdala and the, the hippocampus, um, which previously you weren't able to see, you were only able to really like see what was going on on the surface. Um, and then about three and a half years ago, we adapted something called SW Loretta, um, which was a standardized weighted Loretta, uh, which now actually allows you to see down all the way down into subcortical regions like the cerebellum, the thalamus, the subthalamus, the habendula. Um, all these different regions and, and the communication between all these different areas, as well as the, the power. And so we, we actually use this as a um, kind of surrogate into some of the structural changes that can happen in the brain um, after things like mold exposure. So we're able to kind of get a fingerprint of, of how the brain has been affected. Um, we know that the cerebellum tends to enlarge, which can cause a lot of cognitive issues, it can cause headaches, it can cause dizziness and disorientation, um, as well as weakness, balance and coordination problems. Um, and, and then we can start seeing actually um, some indications of structural atrophy in basal ganglia areas, which are also common with, with water damage building exposure. Um, so it's, yes, it's just it's gotten to a whole new level now. That can I ask you uh, a question about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you tell if there's permanent damage? Um, permanent's a bit of a misnomer. Do, do you mean like irreversible, like forever irreversible or? I guess like, by permanent, I mean like, are you comparing scans to see how sick someone is and then through treatment, rescanning when they're healthier to see mm -hmm. if the same changes of like damage are showing on the scans or if you ever see things that yes um have consistently shown to be irreversible yeah so the, there's yeah there's a very important concept in the brain to be understood with regards to when we when we use the term damage and and when we're doing functional assessments like eeg um the brain is a it's very like there's a structural component and there's a functional component so we have synaptic connections and glial connections that build the brain out in terms of structure, organize it all. Um, and then we have the function of that, which is kind of like what synapses are turned on, um, where and when. Uh, and and they, they, both of those are kind of um, like structure is the foundation for how the brain can function. So if you've had damage, like, so to speak, so at, you know, atrophy or, or microscopic en enlargement, or you have ventricular enlargement or some of these, these more severe structural problems, it will affect function because the, the function automatically now can't be engaged properly. So it's a little bit like um, a computer software versus hardware problem where if we have, like, you know, say brand new Windows 11, but we're trying to run it on a 2002 um, CPU tower, we're going to have a lot of problems and we can tweak the software all we want, but if the hardware is not repaired, um, it's going to limit how much function we can access. Right. And this, this includes cognitive behavioral and affective, um, so emotional function, um, the damage piece, like there, there's been this idea for a long time that if the brain has been damaged, like it's been, there's atrophy or there's enlargement, um, that it's not reversible. And we actually know now there are tons of techniques that can reverse these problems. 
but this is this is one thing that I see with people, especially like mold illness being one example. Um, Post COVID's the newest kid on the block for it, but um, where we have this hardware problem, where it's like all of a sudden our hardware has been reverted back to um, what you know, le- there's less framework or foundation within it, um, so it, it can't sustain the psychology of the brain properly. Um, it's actually a lot of it's repairable, especially after mold illness. But this is one of the reasons why people get stuck where it's like, okay, I knew I had mold. I got away from the mold. I binded, I detoxed, I did all these things, yet I'm still having problems. And, it, and a lot of times it's because the problem went on for so long um, due to the, the cell danger response and hypometabolism and, and inflammation, these um, structural areas got affected. And those actually, in some cases, need to be rebuilt or shrunk back down to size. Things like hyperbaric oxygen, peptide therapies, um, photobiomodulation therapies, um, IV laser, IV photobiomodulation therapies. Those are things that can start actually driving mitochondrial function back up, getting energy resources back up. And then the glial cells go, oh, we can rebuild these synapses now. So it, with when we look at these, we are looking at those indirect markers for structural problems. We do use MRI a lot though, as well, quantitative MRI and neuroquant to really confirm that, okay, if we are seeing a functional problem, is it structural? Like, is it, is it a, a damage associated pattern? Um, but we do see those reverse, like whether, whether or not it is just a functional issue um, or it is a structural problem, um, we do see those reverse. We do see the brain being able to readapt normal levels of functioning again. So do you ever see increased volume that just cannot go back down to size no matter what? Um, I actually haven't seen a case of, of, um, like, like cerebellar enlargement or, or palatum enlargement, um, stuff like that. I actually haven't seen a case that we can't get improvements in. Now, sometimes you can't get it back to normal, right? Where like, quote unquote, where normal volume, um, metrics should be. Um, there are sometimes you fall a little bit short of that. And so that would be, kind of what you were speaking to earlier is like, is there any, is there, you know, do you ever see things not be able to be reversed or the damage persist? Um, I think that we always see improvements. It's just how far gone is it? Um, and, and with the therapies we have approved and available right now, it's like, how far can we get you back towards that normal state? Um, but there are more and more, you know, therapies coming online now. We, uh, we started to investigate um, IV laser uh, protocols utilizing um, UVA with red and infrared uh, lasers and an IV catheter with photosensitizing agents. That seems to be moving the needle even further for people that we're, that we're falling a little bit short of, of fully recovering. So um, yeah, there's, I mean, there are some cases where you do fall a bit short, but I've, I've always seen improvements be able to be had. Now, given your symptoms of brain fog and brain symptoms that you kind of described in university. I'm curious if when you re-encounter a moldy building or accidentally get re-exposed, if you have any flaring of those symptoms or if you re-encounter those symptoms upon an exposure. Yeah. Uh, so you, I used to, um, nowadays I don't, uh, I don't notice it much. Um, I, I really, what I've, what I've found, and, and this is, if you actually take a look at Dr. Navio's research on cell danger response, um, is that the healthier that your mitochondria function is, the less you notice that stuff. 
Um, so I, even up until about two or three years ago, I, I would absolutely notice it, it almost as soon as I would go into a building, um, usually brain fog, watery eyes. Um, I feel a little bit disoriented, um, not quite to the point of dizziness, but almost like I'm always on a boat. Um, now I, I don't notice it as much. I, I have to spend a long time in, in a place like, you know, a, a few weeks usually. So if I'm, you know, on vacation, I, I was in Costa Rica a few months ago. Um, there's a place I was staying at. I started sort of feeling it by the end uh, of the trip, but, uh, you know, the nice thing is I can get on a binder and recover quite quickly these days, but it didn't used to be that way. It, it used to be almost immediately. Yeah, just like uh, just like me, over several years, I built up tolerance until I uh, go freely into places that used to knock me flat in seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an empowering thing. Yeah, what's interesting about Eric's story is that he just practiced avoidance. Um, you know, he didn't do any special therapies or um, you know everything that is out there these days. He just simply utilized his own senses to navigate through his environments to reduce exposure and over time reduction in exposure or no exposure at all really allowed his body to heal to the point where he's like you now, Corey, where he can, you know, withstand a place that may be bad, but you know, he could feel it, but it won't be so killer as it was before where it would knock him out. So that's where Keely and I aspire to be. We aspire to be where you two are. <laughs> yeah, it, I had absolutely no choice in the matter because there were no mold doctors back then. Right. That's right. Yeah, there were no treatments. It was all a new thing. And he kind of had to, to you know, figure things out on his own. And um, I'll let Eric tell a story because it's super amazing. He actually utilized his biological warfare training from the army ah. to be able to heal himself. And uh, you're going to get a kick out of this one. Well, when um, I realized that certain buildings and the contaminants from those buildings were affecting me on the level of a biological warfare agent, which I was trained for in the army. My military instruction, my drilling kicked in and I responded to it exactly as if it were a biological warfare agent. Uh, Use my senses to detect and evacuate and then decontaminate to make sure I wasn't carrying it home with me. Mm -hmm. And that made all the difference in the world. Yeah. That's that's incredible. It's it's interesting that you say biological warfare because I mean that's exactly what what it is, right? It's uh, all those agents, those inflammagens and and VOCs and MVOCs that are released by these microbes are that's exactly what they do, and and they affect the the mitochondria, detect them in the cellular level as a biological warfare agent, right? They they're they're bred, they're evolved to detect. Um, biological agents that uh, that in, induce damage and toxicity and infection. So that's that's interesting, and that and that is there's something to be said about that because if you can avoid it to a significant degree for a long enough period of time, yeah, absolutely, you can you can get better. That that really is the like basic principle is is really all you need. The the trouble is in modern day living um, is is a lot of people don't have the option to be able to you know move and leave and you know uproot themselves constantly and you know avoid workplaces and stuff like that obviously covid has been a bit better of a gift that way um not having to be in the office for some folk but um yeah it's uh that's that's admirable man that's that's awesome well something to consider for people who say well i can't afford to do this Mm -hmm. is consider 
that some of the high-priced mold experts cost so much money that for the amount that you pay for your first appointment, you could probably buy a van or a cargo trailer or someplace to use as a refuge and get off cheaper than their treatments would be. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then just have to do it for a long enough time and eventually things repair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so this really is an option for people who are misguided and thinking they have no options. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a That's a great point. Yeah. And that, and that is the reality as well as the body knows how to heal. It, it, it prefers, it prefers to go into a healing regenerative state. You just have to get things out of the way, right? What's in the way that's preventing that response from, from kicking in. Yeah. So what can you tell us about Dr. Shoemaker's direction into actinomycetes? Uh, with, with, with regards to actinomycetes? Yeah. He seems to have detracted from his focus on toxic mold and mycotoxins and gone so completely into bacteria, into filamentous bacteria, uh, actinomycetes, yeah. Yeah. that it's almost as if he's lost interest in toxic mold. Yeah. So what, um, what, what the like recent update, um, well, that had been about two years ago, um, when, they, when they started actually uh, like t- testing for actinomycetes, um, they just started finding that there was more, far more people being affected by actinomycetes than my- mold and mycotoxins. And one of the reasons for it is actinomycetes can grow at a lot lower humidity. So there's a, there's a lower saturation requirement for these bacteria to proliferate. And it, it really just comes down to our very cheap building materials that we use. Like that, it, it, they're just pre-inoculated with a ton of these bacteria. Um, I haven't I haven't gotten a recent update from him on it. I, I his populations that they were looking at found that only about seventeen percent of people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome were being affected by mold or mycotoxins. Um, and the you know other there was I think it was like forty eight percent was actinomycetes, um, and then around ten percent with endotoxins. So I think he I think there was there was so little information available on actinomycetes in human health that he's really gone that direction now to just like learn as much as much as they can about it. Um, this is actually, it's, it's kind of interesting because in our, our practice as well, when we're doing quantitative EEG, we have markers for hypometabolism. Um, we have, and then we have markers for innate immune dysfunction. And then we have, like you were talking about, um, uh, so it's Dr. Goldstein. What's his, what's his name? That the cross. Jay. Yeah. 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 Um, and looking at chronic fatigue populations where you get this slowing in brain waves. So you get all this excess delta, like the brain's wanting to go asleep, uh, go to sleep, even though it's awake. Um, that, that really points to an acute inflammatory scenario. And that's exactly what we see in, in mold illness is in acute mold toxicity, you'll see slowing of the brain waves. Um, when you aren't seeing that, you'll see the opposite where you'll actually, you'll actually have less slow waves than you should have. And you get this excess alpha, which is actually a sign of hypometabolism. And what Dr. Shoemaker and uh, Dr. McMahon and, and a lot of these other guys have learned is that that is one of the primary uh, culprits for molecular hypometabolism, where the mitochondria decide that they're, they're not going to bring, they're not going to release translocase. They're not going to express translocase. So they're not going to bring anything into the mitochondria anymore. So now, now you're forced to burn glucose through glycolysis. And you get an 18th the amount of yield of ATP. And these mitochondria stay stuck in that state as long as they're detecting inflammagens that are from actinomyces. Now, the same thing can happen from mold. 
Um, but in acute mold, there tends to be far more of an inflammatory problem rather than a hypometabolism problem. So I think in the correlation with Dr. Navio's research of the cell danger response, which is really a mitochondrial central centralized problem, um, they've started seeing that, okay, well, there is like this hypometabolism component that's way more important than the acute inflammatory component in these actinos population. But um, I think it's very important to note that mold is very much still affecting, you know, one to two out of 10 uh, people around worldwide, right? So well, it's interesting that you referenced Dr. Robert Nevia because um, he works for, with the Open Medicine Foundation. Mm -hmm. And he's not talking about mycotoxins or actinomycetes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's because he's not he he's looking at a foundational problem underlying certain certain diseases and disorders. Um, and so there, um, Dr. Jimmy Ryan, Dr. Dr. Shoemaker have been looking at uh, qRNA sequencing from uh, you know of course SIRS and, and mold and actinos patients. And, and looking at the gene products that are, that are released by white blood cells and, and seeing the crossover with regards to the cell danger response. So they're, they're the ones that are really shifting on that path. Dr. Navio is, I mean, very hyper-focused on just what is cell danger response? What is it doing? Um, and what, what are the products that are being produced from that? And, and ultimately, how is that affecting the, the body's disease state? So. Well, it's kind of strange because Dr. Ron Davis and all the researchers at Stanford at the Open Mess Foundation keep seeing that they haven't got a clue. They don't even know where to start looking. Mm -hmm. And yet here we've got some excellent culprits. So why isn't Dr. Navio telling him about it? So, sounds like a question for Dr. Navio. I've actually asked him that. Oh, okay. Okay. What did he have to say? Uh, he just kind of walked away, actually. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I thought um, he could really do us all a service if we were to tell Dr. Ron Davis to look specifically into some of these clues that we've had evidence for for a very long time. I wonder if there's maybe some financial interest there. Well, Dr. Davis did uh, state that their reluctance to move into mold right now is for lack of funding, that they would need to hire somebody to look into it. And that would be so expensive that right now it's prohibitive. But there's already good evidence out there done by many yeah. researchers and they could avail themselves of this at any time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. I mean, of course there's a, uh, there's going to be a vested interest for, for some folks with regards to insurance coverage and, and, you know, even building material problems and, you know, it, it, you can open a pretty big can of worms if, if all of a sudden that, you know, starts being revealed. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, from a research standpoint, in order to understand the etiology of the disease, these are directions that we have to go. I agree. I agree. I agree completely. But so uh, the, the thing that I've learned about research is uh, it's, it, you, don't, uh, you don't always necessarily get to uh, run free with research. There are a lot of hoops. There are a lot of people to answer to. And there's a lot of vested interest and in, in industrial vested interest. So it's not it's not as easy as it, as it sounds to, and I, I think that's important for people to understand too, when there isn't, the research isn't perfect and it's not all lining up that there is a lot of, there's a lot of uh, parties that, that do interfere with that. So that's, that's true. But at the same time, but if that impediment is directly hindering the path that one needs to mm -hmm. go in, well, then that becomes an unacceptable block. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I agree. Mean, we, 
Um, so I'm curious as to, you know, you talk about insurance. When Dr. Shoemaker shifted from presenting Sears as primarily a mold and mycotoxin mm-hmm. illness to primarily not being mold or mycotoxins, how is this affecting people who got their Sears diagnosis based on mold testing? So, I mean, that's a great question. I, I'm not in the United States. So our healthcare system works completely different. Um, we don't even have, for instance, we don't even have an acceptable SERS diagnosis in Canada. Like that, that's just not something that is, is even really looked at as being an accepted diagnosis. Um, it, it, it is a diagnostic code, uh, but most of the time it's, it's just completely, uh, completely ignored by, by the primary um, healthcare network. So we like in our, our clinic, we, we don't, we have zero subsidization and our insurance coverage is very minimal as it is. So it's, it's, a, we have a very different system than the United States. So I, I, I'm not too sure um, to, to be able to answer your question on that. But what about within your own practice? Like before the two years ago when the tenomycetes came to say, Hey, surprise, there's bacteria in a wet building too. Who would have ever thought? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, um, no, no. You know, even so before that two years ago, the diagnosis was then made on mold and mycotoxins. So, you know, assuming yeah. patient care takes probably a few years mm-hmm. to your clinic. I mean, I'm sure people, what, from six months to five years, I'm sure they're spending, if they're chronically ill, depending on... I guess, if they're getting results or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are you seeing in your clinical observations when you had to change your treatment protocol from treating mold and mycotoxins to treating everyone like they overdose on antibiotics? Mm. Yeah. So the, the, the changes really came again, um, more, more mitochondrial centered rather than detox centered um, in, ter- in terms of initial steps. Uh, the the issue or the 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 thing with actinos that didn't really change was was building remediation. Aside from having to do more small particle remediation, um, it did actually help us a lot because we you know we'd be running, we'd be we'd clean something up in a house, we would get filters running, um, we would have uh, the ermine and, and hurts me retesting done, and it's like okay, we're good to go why are you not getting better? Right. Or why are you plateauing? Cause that was, that was a really common problem was like people plateauing. And, and then when we, when we were able to access actinos tests and we started seeing, ah, oh, bacteria levels are, are elevated as well. So I think it's become the avoidance principle has become more important where we're, we're taking things even more seriously than we were previously. And in, in regards to, you know, this vacating houses that have bacterial problems because they're, they're a lot harder to get under control. Um, but we, with isolating that, have found improved uh, outcomes and, and less of this plateauing of symptoms over time. And then utilizing things like photobiomodulation therapies that we weren't using as much before with, uh, with mold illness patients. So it's, it has changed things a bit. It's kind of stunning for me to hear Dr. Shoemaker say that we found out that there's more besides um, mold Mm -hmm. making people sick in buildings when actually back in the uh, indoor air quality literature of the early 1980s, it was all about bacteria and chemicals. 
In fact, that was the blame. In fact, the blame for um, bacteria like Legionnaires' disease was so intense that they actually failed to discover toxic mold until 1986 because they were so focused on bacteria. So now to say that there's more than mold, if if Dr. Shoemaker were to come back with that, you know, very same attitude, he would not discover toxic mold because he would be too busy Mm -hmm. saying, well, there's more than mold. Funny how that works, eh? Vicious circle. Yeah. 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 So actually, uh, when we look back on the development of the toxic mold uh, phenomenon, we find that the specific trichothecene-producing toxic molds are so deadly that they were very well worth discovering, yeah. well worth knowing about. Totally. Just, just less people being affected by them than some of these other agents, I think, is, is the main the main points of it. I suspect that what's going on is that Dr. Shoemaker's um, genie test is uncovering what is known in the literature and not some new mechanisms that are Mm -hmm. still unknown, waiting to be discovered. Because just anecdotally, when you look at how many people are complaining about toxic mold now and pointing at it and successfully identifying it by feel alone, it's clear that their perceptions are saying, there is something really specific about this toxic mold and we're finding it even right through a wall using our senses yeah. and the failure of doctors to correlate their test results to what we perceive is a good, strong indication that there's something that they don't know about yet. And, and uh, without a doubt, I, I'm, I'm very certain that there's more there. There always seems to be. <laughs> You have so. patients that are so sensitive that they can walk into a room and say, this table has been contaminated from a mold exposure and I have to take it out. Well, then what do you do? You tell them like, no, that's actually bacteria because that's what CRS really is. Like, what do you tell them? Like, just wipe it off with an antibiotic wipe or an antibacterial wipe. Like, can't people just use antibacterial wipes to decon their stuff if it's all bacteria? Yeah. And, and that, that absolutely can be done. It, it's you just always have to keep in mind. Um, well, the thing with hypersensitivity is like when someone's reacting to an item, no matter what it's been cleaned with, it actually can't be cleaned. Like that's what defines the hypersensitive mold injured population is they become so reactive to residual contamination or mold hiding somewhere that hasn't been properly resolved that it actually can't be cleaned. No, no amount of cleaning can wipe it off. So I'm, so I guess I'm kind of saying like, if it was really just actinomycetes, that was the mechanism primarily in CRS, in theory, we'd be able to take antibacterial wipes to our furniture, to our clothes, but that's not the reality of the hypersensitive population. I don't know if you're seeing this in Canada, but in the States, we see patients who will literally have to put their stuff in storage for a couple of years to then revisit it and see if they are still reacting to it or if they can take it out. They try ammonia, they try bleach, they try alcohol wipes, they try literally every substance under the sun, borax, EC3, you name it, people are trying it. And what's differentiating them from just like someone who might have a stomach ache from a mold exposure or a headache from mold exposure is these people are so hypersensitive that they will react to things that can't be cleaned. And so do you see that in your clinic? And if you do, do you like tell them, Hey, this is contamination. Or do you tell them try to take an antibacterial wipe? Or do you tell them like, Oh, you just have MCAS because like, because maybe you don't realize they're reacting to contamination. 
Yeah. So the, the problem with going the antimicrobial approach is you kill things, but you don't clean up the small particles. And these small particle non-living inflammagens are, are a major component. And that includes mold, right? That includes cell wall fragments and, and, and everything else from mold and bacteria, fungal, fungal hyphal fragments, right? So you can't just kill it and expect it's not be contaminated anymore, if that makes sense, right? Because these small particles from the cell bursting you have all these protein, all this protein matter and, and phospholipid matter and everything else that acts as an inflammagen in the body. So if you have somebody that is, they, they are like, it's clear they're reacting to some item, a couch, something, you know, especially if it's like a couch or a mattress or something, you have to get rid of it. There, there's no way to clean that stuff, right? Table shelves, it depends. It depends on how, how much microbial um, absorption you have in there. But I mean, generally it's, it, I don't really tell them like whether it's mold or bacteria or not, it doesn't really matter. It's something, it's something that is triggering a response and the limbic system is going, Whoa, something's going on here. Right. I don't like this. So in, in most cases, it just needs to be turfed. Right. Um, but I always, I always, especially people that are very sensitive, I, I try to really encourage them to trust that. Right. Because I think a lot of times people have been told not to trust themselves. Right. We've, we've disempowered people as being their own own intuitive healers. And don't you thinking, think we're kind of also doing that when we tell them it's like a limbic system response instead of saying it's actually like an immune system injury? Because it's essentially telling people that it's in their head. And if you can retrain your limbic system and react less, you just prove that it's in your head instead of an actual physiological immune response. Well, and if you can do that, then great. Then that proves it's a limbic response, right? But if you can't do that, then it's not. But, but except it's still... in, in real life in the patient population, they do that and maybe they're slightly less reactive with stress, but their fibro pain is still there and they still mm -hmm. have MCAS. But they think that those are separate conditions because they think mm -hmm. they treated the limbic system. And then they go on to think that these other conditions are not related to their mold hypersensitivity when it indefinitely is. And then if they chase you're... those conditions forever, thinking that it's something else mm -hmm. and it's not. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're sensing mold, it is a limbic system sensory response. So if we're going to be honest with people and educate them, it is the brain that is sensing it, right? Like the sensory organs are sensing it. It still can be an immune response. Absolutely. Because we have inflammatory receptors in the amygdala, right? So the amygdala is meant to tell you something's not right right? And that is within a given environment, you have to kind of figure that out for yourself. But it, even if it is an immune response, if you're sensing it, it's, it's a limbic system sensory process, right? If, so, you're, if something can trigger one part of your brain, it can trigger probably any part of mm -hmm. your brain, especially when it's through the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, but that danger, I guess I that disagree that, that it's primarily a limbic system response. That might be like secondary part of it's the secondary. cascade. It, it's secondary. Right. But it's treated sure. as primary and stated as primary. It, I mean, it, it can be, but that, that if that was the case, it would be wrong. That right. Would, that's that what I'm be, saying. It be, is. That would be a wrong way to label it. That's and, what, exactly and, my and point. So, I think it's and, a wrong way to label it. 
but but it but it is sometimes a limbic system response and that's important to understand i mean that's what energy vampires teach right like the doctors who talk about energy vampires like that's what they say but if there is an unknown mechanism of mold injury like we all just Mm -hmm. agreed that there probably is like we really can't say that for sure it's we can because treatment proves treatment proves diagnosis so when everybody when somebody's symptoms completely resolve <laughs> right that 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 and and they and they stay that way that supports diagnosis but, but, but we already said re-exposure can trigger a hypersensitive so yes, yes. so if it didn't heal the immune system to prevent the re-trigger then it didn't cure so it's not a cure so it yes, doesn't in a, in in a hyper in a hyper in, in that case yes if if you if you are re-exposed and you get symptoms then yes you well have doesn't that disprove there. the whole entire idea then because people are continuously re-exposed to contamination but not but not everybody understand. but what what all i'm saying is not everybody who does go and get re-exposed gets sick again or or gets a sensory react reactivity they, they that, more tolerance yeah exactly yeah but but this is where uh, Dr. Robert Navio and Dr. Ron Davis really need to have a talk because Dr. Davis's nanoneedle results indicate that there's a cellular response, that there's a dower response to the downregulation of the mitochondria mm-hmm. by some agent of the blood, completely yeah. independent of what's going on in the brain. So therefore, that cuts the limbic uh, theory right out of the deal. In yes, in in hypersensitivity to mold, yes. But not, but not everybody. But we we don't we don't need theory. to have a brain at all. You can chop off somebody's heads, and if you have their cells in vitro responding to this agent, that there's a systemic downregulation of the mitochondria that's affecting the body, regardless of what your thoughts are, your flight or flight response, or limbic retraining, or anything else. Your cell, your cell, you have a cellular threat response. You have a cellular threat response. That's right, with no brain. A, as opposed to a no mind body at all. A centralized threat response. Exactly. Exactly. But there, but there is bilateral communication as well, right? Where that's that but danger the, response is evaluated differently. But if we want to find out what that agent is, we can't go looking in the brain for a limbic response. I think Dr. Davis is really onto something here because if you can find this agent in the blood, I mean no brain involves then you know what's down down regulating cellular ATP response. Right, right. And while and the other fact of the matter is also is that every almost every cell in the brain has mitochondria too. So you have you have a threat response in the brain cells as well. Right, right but yeah. uh, we've already ruled that out. That's that's out of the deal. So once once we find out there's an intracellular response to this agent and we can reproduce this in vitro, we can kind of set aside whatever whatever relevance the the your fight or flight response has because we're looking for the specific agent that's turning off our mitochondria but but i'm saying it's happening in brain cells as well not not like not like specifically like your astrocytes right we know there's astrocyte leakage that occurs when this happens right aquaporin gets leaked into the blood and now you have water transport well there's not going to be any cells that are immune to a poison that's poisoning that's cytotoxic so every exactly. cell is going to be affected so it, it, do, it really doesn't matter where they are it matters like what's happening totally, totally. i think we can agree to disagree <laughs> I, hope, I hope we haven't thrown the heat on you too much today Corey. well <laughs> no this is good i mean it's a good debate how, you know this, well and this is how i mean this is how we gain understanding well this, there's this there's enough evidence for the brain retraining to see that there is some kind of effect going on here because people are 
getting improvement in their condition by downregulating their their emotional response. Mm. But at the same time, if we want to find out what's doing this, we've got to do what Dr. Davis is and look why this agent in the blood is capable of shutting off our cellular full production of ATP, regardless of what the brain is doing. Well, and and what what and that's the, that's also the a good point because you need to look at the most the the deepest foundational cause, right? Because exactly. if you're if you're just treating surface symptoms, there it's gonna well it's gonna be limited, um, and it isn't gonna be longitudinal either. But at the um, there's a lot of people who are counting on the validation of mold testing and the properties mm-hmm. of mold to substantiate their their case of illness so that their relatives, their doctors will believe them. Mm-hmm. But now by saying, well, we don't think it's mold, it's kind of toxic soup of yeah. anything and everything, yeah. they're deprived of having that validation. Well, and there and there's severe limitations in, in, a, in a lot of cases with um with like you know quantitative DNA, um quantitative PCR DNA sequencing and, and whatnot in Ermi and hurts me. And and you're not picking up like the toxic soup side of it, right? You're you're trying you're trying to find the microbes, but that that it's it's limited. Those techniques are limited. So yeah, I mean if you're if you're looking for everything to be fully validated, it, it doesn't always happen. So yeah, aren't uh, aren't doctors in the position of having to say to their patients, yeah, we thought it was toxic mold, but that was entirely wrong. We need to revisit your case completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm like I said in Canada, we you know, we're, we're, we're revisiting it to the best of our ability with testing, but it's just driven us towards more of a approach to avoidance and just being far more serious with avoidance. So if you believe that a um, chronic inflammatory response syndrome patient actually does have a toxic mold problem, say from stachybotrys mm-hmm. yeah. or trichoderma or you know, fusarium, a ketomium, a tri- trichothecine producer, do you tell them to say SIRS or do you instruct them to say, well, you should just call it mold illness. Yeah. I mean, we generally say it, with, with regards to SIRS, if there, if there's been neuropeptide dysregulation, like the, the, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the diagnostic criteria anyway, but um, if there's been neuropeptide dysfunction um, with innate immune dysfunction, then you call it SIRS. If there hasn't been um, neuropeptide dysfunction or dysregulation, um, then you call it mold illness. And, and, it, at the end of the day, avoidance is essential, right? That's true. I will totally agree with that. Mold, yeah. <laughs> mold avoidance is essential. So, so it almost it almost doesn't matter what we call it, it, but obviously for insurance purposes and stuff that that does on our on our end because of our our the way our healthcare system works, it it just the coverage piece and and insurance is just it almost if people actually come into Canada and they have a SERS diagnosis, they're almost looked at like they're a psychiatric case. Yeah, so for sure. It, it's so it's the you, same here in the U.S. Yeah. Too. Even though we're we're you know a little bit more progressive on, yeah. on our end, <laughs> it's just insane. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 so you, you're kind of you're like okay, well, it doesn't matter what we call it at this point. We know we know you're toxic, and we know. Well, we I, avoid actually, it, right? I got into a bit of an argument with Doctor Shoemaker about that because I told him. If I had lingering effects from brown recluse spider bite, I would call it spider bite illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that right. Would... <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, why make it complex, right? Exactly. Call, call a spade a spade. Yeah, that just creates more confusion in, in patient populations, too. Yeah, I would hate to go in and say, well, I have SIRS. 
And the doctor go, oh, toxic soup illness. Mm-hmm. Kind of anything mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Well, and yeah, they try to explain service too, right? Give, yeah. Give me, your, give me your elevator pitch. Break it down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how is Canada dealing with the whole mold thing? Like, are are you... Are you seeing inspectors and remediators doing a good job? Like what, what's going on in the whole ecosystem of, of mold and, and people getting sick from it? It's horrendous um, to say, quite frankly. Um, we, we have the one company here in Calgary that I would say does an okay job. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's difficult, again, because insurance companies don't want to admit this is a problem. Um, right. Government doesn't want to admit it's a problem. No one wants to admit anything, right. Builders, contractors, it's everybody just denies it. Um, so it's really difficult to get, to get any sort of remediation done. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really up to the individual to, to figure out situations, you know, whether it's, um, you know, purchasing a, a trailer and, you know, dragging it out somewhere to a, to a slot that they can stay and live obviously really difficult where we're at in Canada with the, uh, with the weather fluctuations, but um, yeah, it's not, it's horrendous. And, and there's, yeah, there's just no, there's no accountability anywhere. Um, You know, if you're not, if you're not surpassing that, um, that EPA standard, which you don't see a lot, um, this like mold spore trap testing and stuff. I mean, if that's not off the charts, essentially there's, there's no coverage. There's like almost no help. Um, there's been a few lawsuits that have uh, have carried through up here and and have been successful, but it's it's very far uh, far and few. So, uh, wow, that's that's sad to hear because mm-hmm. it's just it's exploding out here, and even us being more advanced, we're still seeing so much just crap in the industry. Really, to be quite frank here, um, with mold testing and and remediation yeah. and. You know, I, I just could imagine in Canada, it's probably a lot worse. And are you seeing yeah. a lot more patients coming in to your practice? Like, are, are you just getting a, a higher volume of people coming in with this type of illness? Yeah, yes, because I think that um, some of the toxic peptides that were people were being exposed to through, well, you know, things like the, the recent vaccination changes and COVID were the tipping point for people. And, and again, you know, it's this big focus on post COVID, but I really think it's a lot of it is these people have been um, exposed for a long time in a low grade way. And it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. So yeah, we're seeing a lot more of it. Um, And it, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think with like public medicine, you would think it would be in the government's best, best interest to actually like realize this and put some things in place for prevention right? It's going to cost them less in the long run, but yeah, it's just, it's not, it's just not being accepted. So yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Deacon, Corey, we appreciate you coming on and being such an awesome, awesome guest here. And I know we're, we're tough over here, man. We're tough as nails. We love to debate and we love to get these conversations going because it's, it's important to mm-hmm. to have these conversations with each other, especially people who are trying to help um, mold sick patients from, you know, Canada to, to the U S and we, we are in, um, we have a big listenership in Australia too. It's a big issue in Australia and the UK. Okay. Um, yeah. And so it's just, it's a growing problem and we definitely need to work together to try to 
try to figure some things out. And it's really nice to hear you as a physician, um, you know, pursuing the idea of mold avoidance and, and that being just number one for yeah. a lot of people, just avoiding, you know, the bad stuff. Um, and, and listening to yourself, right? Like that's the biggest yeah. thing, like listening to your body. It's if something, if your body's saying something's not right, it probably isn't. And we are a hundred percent in alignment with you on that. And yes. that's something that we talk about as well. Keely Severson is passionate and committed to exposing the truth about toxic mold and its effects on the human body. Many mold-injured people are often misdiagnosed with autoimmune conditions, nerve damage, mental illnesses, and other chronic health conditions due to the lack of knowledge about water damage and toxic mold growing in their homes. The crippling effects of toxic mold on the body has destroyed many lives. Been there, done that. When she became a healthcare provider specializing in acupuncture and herbal medicine, it was only then that she truly began to understand the connection between her health and the environment that she was living in. Three years after becoming a licensed care provider, she became incredibly ill. She was suffering from kidney failure, reoccurring UTIs, and various negative mental health symptoms. When she learned that her family had been dwelling with mold trapped under her kitchen floor, the relationship between the toxic mold factor and her health finally began to make sense. It became part of her life's mission to help educate society on the extreme effects that mold can have on the body. Her work is vital because there exists a lack of experience and acknowledgement for mainstream medical practitioners and even mold experts. She has firsthand experience dealing with mold exposure, and she makes sure to address all the signs and symptoms during every environmental screening that she performs. She's developed a line of organic herbal tinctures and formulas to help most patients reduce symptoms commonly associated with toxic mold exposures. These symptoms vary and can manifest themselves very differently from person to person. Her herbal education and experience has helped her increase awareness and recognize signs in patients that may result from their toxic environments. Keely's dedication to learning and understanding the effects of toxic mold and educating and bringing awareness to her patients and other providers keep her motivated. She knows just how devastating the untreated consequences can be on your health and the health of your families, relationships, and life outcomes. If you or someone you know may be affected by toxic mold exposure, rest assured that you and Keely will work together to find a solution. By working together to treat the symptoms and stay educated on toxic mold exposures, we can reduce the impact of this devastating phenomenon. To consult with Keely, please visit exposingmold.com slash consultations. That's exposingmold.com slash C-O-N. S-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N-S. Book your appointment today. All right, Corey. So if anyone is listening from Canada, which we do have a lot of listeners from Canada, where can they consult with you? Yeah, so um, our website, www.nirvanahealth.com is our our clinical website. Um, And then um, we do have offer like clinician and patient uh, training programs as well to just like if people want to like understand the inner workings of this more and you know what the research shows and everything um and that's diverseandresearch.com fantastic well thank you so much and thank you to all of our listeners we appreciate you and we'll see you next time Bye.